0: So Christmas is literally two days away, and I hope you're ready. I don't know what kind of gifts you're giving. I don't know what kind of gifts you have yet to give. Um, I know a lot of you have family traditions that you do, and you have maybe some phrases that you think of that kind of embodies the Christmas season. There there was a guy at one time that said there's really three phrases that embody Christmas that kind of best just sum it up. And, And those phrases are peace on earth, goodwill to men, and batteries not included. That's... That's what it is. I don't know know if the gifts that you're giving include batteries. I don't know if they don't. Um, But there are some gifts, if I could just plug our series, that don't need batteries because they last forever. And those gifts are the gifts that God gives us. They last forever. And in this series, the best Christmas gifts, we've been talking about what those are. And today, we're going to talk about God's gift of power. Well, whenever you think of God's gift of power and, and you think about just God's power in general, what kind of things go through your head? You may think of the miracles that Jesus did. You may think of the, the Old Testament and things that God did that we read in Scriptures that blow us away. You may think about creation. You may think about something as simple as God saying something to you or God doing something in your life. Um, but just to kind of sum this up, and, or kind of set it up, rather, uh, a verse that comes to my mind is Isaiah 9-6, and it was actually a prophecy of Jesus. It says, For unto us a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. There's this idea that he's not going to be just some weakling, not somebody that's lacking of power, but he's going to be Mighty, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are the names that, you know, a long time before Jesus was even born, coming to this earth, uh, people are prophesying about him through God, about what he would be, Mighty, Mighty God, can I give you an example of what that power looks like, what that might looks like? In Ephesians 1, this is in the New Testament, uh, Paul is writing to the church, and so he's talking to us, and he says this. He says, I pray that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. So he's not only saying that God has power, but he's saying that you can know it. Everybody say, I can know it. You, you can It's something that you can access. He says, listen, this is where it gets crazy. He says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. You, you think about God's power and what it took to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. It's like it's, it's everything that we have hope in. It's the reason why we have hope, not just that he died for us, but because we serve a God who defeated death, hell, and the grave. He rose to life, and that same life that he has, he gives us. That's why we have life. That's why we have a hope of heaven, because we serve a God who isn't dead. And he says the same power that he did that with, he says, I pray you know it because it can work in you. Did you grab that? <laughs> yeah. did, did, you, did you understand that? It, it, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is accessible to you and me. Whenever I ask you, what, what do you think of when you think of God's power? Did you, did you think of that? Did you come up with that? In Ephesians 3, Paul says, not only do we have access to that power, he says, but we can be filled to the full measure of God. And then he says this in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than you can even think or ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So he makes the point very clear that God is all-powerful. He's a mighty, powerful God. He raises dead things to life. He gives us access, you, me, every human being, access to that power. And he wants to exert it in your life in such a way that you can't even measure. That it, it, In fact, you can't measure it. It's too much for us to even imagine. Now, that's the gift that God gives. Now, w- when I say these things, you may be sitting here today asking the question, uh, where is it? Because we're all facing things that we're, we're hurting over. We're all facing things that we need power. We need something. We need something to get us through, especially maybe in this holiday season where everyone seems to be joyful, and maybe you can't be as joyful as everybody else because you're grieving. And you need the power to kind of kind of buckle down and get through. Maybe you're asking for answers, and, and, and where, is, where is God's power? It's interesting, we, we read about God's power, and just to kind of give you a little bit more tidbit on, on it, you, you think about things He did in the Old Testament. You, you remember the story of, of Moses? And he's leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. They've been there for over 400 years in slavery. And they're sitting there at the Red Sea. And, and, and Moses does one of these numbers right here, you know. And, and through God's power and strength, the Red Sea just basically splits open. And, and, and you can read it. It's in the Scriptures. And the Bible says that they, with, with, the, uh, with Pharaoh's army on their tails, they walk through on dry ground. Now, I want you to imagine that for a minute, because we can't even split the water in our bathtub, much less something like this. And, and, and uh, can you imagine that huge body of water just being what it took, the to force to split it open? And then the walls of water on each side, and you're sitting there looking at this huge body of water. How many of you have ever kind of gone under uh, a tunnel, maybe at an at a, uh, aquarium or something where there's water all around you? Isn't that freaky? Isn't that kind of weird? Can you imagine walking through this, this huge kind of tunnel, so to speak, of water on both sides of you? And the Bible says that they walk through on dry ground. Not only did he split the water open, but he took the water out of the mud. It wasn't even muddy when they walked through, and he split that. Later on, when they're at Mount Sinai and Moses is getting ready to get the law, the Bible says that, uh, that, that the presence of God manifested itself on top of that mountain. And it was demonstrated with, with, with powerful thunder and peals of lightning and, and, and an earthquake and smoke so dense you couldn't see through it. And that this wasn't just some little display. It had over a million people, that's the number of the Israelites that came out of Egypt, trembling, falling down on their faces, scared to move. And they said, Moses said, God wants to talk with us. And they were so freaked out. They were like, no, you can go talk to him. We'll stay here. We're not going. I mean, this is, we're talking about the power of God. Recently, studies say that they found geographically where that mountain was, and the whole top of it is charred. (laughs) I mean, we're talking a a, a power that can can make over a million people fall on their face. God has the power to do that, but yet God has also the power to speak to a heart and change it. You're talking about power that it seems like it can be big in one minute and it can be small in in the next minute. And so, well, no wonder we don't know anything about it. No wonder we we kind of have given up trying to figure it out because we can't understand it. But did you know that God never changes He's the same, the Bible says, yesterday and today and forever. Maybe you've heard that. And he's not not like a man, that he should change his mind or shift, like shifting shadows. But he's the same, and his power's the same. And it, it hasn't gone down one degree, and it hasn't gone up one degree, because his power is unlimited and it never changes. But yet we see it so different in different circumstances. We see Jesus raise the dead to life. We see him walk on water. Eventually he rose from the grave. His power isn't limited, but yet we see it in different ways. Can I suggest to you today that His power is not limited at all except for but one thing? And that one thing is this. This is the box that we put Him in. It is. And this, this box is comprised of, our, of uh, the most comfortable things to us, our own thoughts, our own ideas, things that we can see and we can touch, Um, things that we understand. And God's power is limited by it. And the reason is because this is comfortable. (laughs) I can carry this around like a little pal. Any any 80s kids remember my buddy? My buddy and me. This is kind of what the box is. it's, It's my buddy. I walk around with it. I like it. And God's power is limited because faith doesn't live inside this. Faith always lives outside of your box. And God's power rests on you whenever you have faith in him. That's, what, that's the reason God's power is limited. In fact, Jesus, uh, in his time on earth, was doing some crazy miracles. I mean, things that you wouldn't even believe. At one time, he was going into a, a town called Nain, and there was a funeral procession coming out. And they were carrying this coffin, and the mother was crying, and Jesus had compassion. Just right there in the middle of the funeral, just raised the guy right out of the coffin. He got up and reunited the family. I mean crazy things. Jesus doing all these crazy miracles. He he was he was uh, I can't even begin to tell you all of them. In fact, the Bible says that if we could record all the things, this is one of the disciples talking, that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain it. That's that's how powerful Jesus is. And yet he walks in part of his journey into his hometown. And in his hometown, he's there and he's teaching in the synagogue. Now, this is where he grew up in his human life. And People are amazed at his teaching. They can't believe that he's there, but then all of a sudden they start to look at him different. And they, here's what they say: "We know you. <laughs> we isn't this? Isn't this who we know? Isn't this the carpenter?" And all of a sudden, their thoughts about him begin to change because they put him in the box. This is who we think you are. This is who we know you are. And how are we supposed to see you as the Son of God? When we kind of grew up with you, we watched you grow up, they can measure that. They can quantify it. What they couldn't do was step outside of their own box and have the faith to believe in something that they couldn't understand. And it was extremely difficult. In fact, in Mark chapter 6, the second part of verse 2 is they looked at him and they said, what is this wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't that the carpenter? Isn't that, isn't that Mary's son? And so they just basically put him in a box. God's power is not limited, but what we put him in. The Bible says that they, they did this to the point that they actually took offense at him. Did you know that your understanding and your own thinking and your lack of faith will always be offended at the things that God wants to do in your life because they can't exist in here? Your flesh will always be offended at what God might want to do in you because you're not going to be able to understand it at first. And if you're walking around with this and you're only doing and only having faith, which isn't even faith, but only believing in the things that you can see and you can measure and you can quantify, then you'll take offense at what the Holy Spirit leads you to do because it'll never make sense to you. They took offense at Jesus Christ. Now, this it, it baffles me because they were looking at the very Son of God, and yet they couldn't see it. They, they were looking at Him face to face. If you read the chapter before, you just see where Jesus had come off this, this miracle spree. I mean, he, one miracle was He cast thousands of demons out of this one guy who had been ostracized from his community, pulled apart from his family, demon-possessed. For God knows how long, Jesus comes along, heals him. Then he raises a sick girl from the dead. She was sick. She died. Jesus walks in, picks the girl up by her hand, and raises her to life. And then there was another woman who was deathly ill. Jesus healed her in an instant. And then the next chapter, he walks into a group of people that were holding knees. Oh, we know you. <laughs> sure, to be sure, you can't do it like that because we know who you are. We can measure it. And they walked in with boxes. And the Bible says that Jesus couldn't do any miracles there. His power was limited by the box. He wanted to do miracles. He wanted to change their lives. But belief will always precede miracles and change in your life. And belief and faith does not exist in this box. And the Bible says they took offense at him because of their thinking. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7 says, listen, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. (laughs) In other words, don't don't be impressed and don't live by this. (laughs) Don't don't be impressed by what what you think or what you can do. But it says, instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. In other words, put your trust and your hopes in God and fear Him. Your wisdom, it thrives in here. Your your wisdom, it, it does all kinds of things in here. God isn't saying that that we're not smart, and God isn't saying that we can't think for ourselves. You know what he's saying? He's saying that you can't have faith in him to do these immeasurably great things if all you do is stick with what you know. It was this quote by a guy. I I don't even remember who it was, but this is the quote. We serve a God that has dynamite power, and, and we live firecracker lives. I mean, we think about that. We serve a God who's able to do immeasurably more than we can think or imagine, and we settle for this little bit of what we know and what we can wrap our minds around. And we live defeated. We live, we live kind of hidden. We live uh, sometimes incapable of doing great and mighty things. For God, for ourselves, for our families, we, we kind of resist becoming who God wants us to be because we live holding on to this box, because we can, we can measure this. It doesn't require me to have faith. It doesn't require me to really hurt all that much because I don't have to step out with, with questions that are still there, not answered, and me actually keep moving. Because I can hold on to this. This is a 16-inch box, baby, and I can measure every bit of it. Uh, this is what I know. And he's saying, don't, don't be impressed with your own understanding, with your own wisdom. God can't use that. Faith lives outside of that. And if you want to do great things for God, if you want God's power to work in your life, he's saying then you've got to get rid of your box. God not only has unlimited power, but he wants to unleash it in your life. And I just, for the the few minutes I have left, I just want to talk about three things that God wants to do with his power in your life. He wants you to have the power to forget yesterday's failures. He wants you to have the power to function with today's frustrations. And God wants to give you the power to overcome fears of your future. And I just want to talk about those three things, those three avenues of God's power in your life. And I just, I want to tell a few stories with them. Can, Can I do that? and some people that had that the same opportunity to have a box, have come to Jesus with their own ideas and understanding, and let's see what happens. So, so God wants to give you the power to forget yesterday's failures. Now, understand, I don't mean forget them where you don't learn from them and run from your failures. He, he wants to give you the power to forgive yourself. He wants to give you the power to forget your failures so that, you, that they're not hunting you down with shame. You remember a, a guy named David in the Bible? You, you may remember him. He was a, a king in the Old Testament, but he loved the Lord. In fact, he wrote a lot of the scriptures that we read in the Old Testament, lots of stories written about him. He was a godly man. In fact, God said, this is a man that is after my own heart. I mean, this is a man who loves me. This is a man who is righteous. And David messed up some kind of big. Now, you may think you did some bad things, and I'm sure you have, and I'm sure that I have, but I just, can, I just, can I just spill David's bag for a minute? Um, he's not here today, so we don't have to worry about him coming and being offended. Um, but he would want me to tell you, I'm sure, so that we can all learn from this, <laughs> right? So, so David was a king. He was the, the main man in Israel. Back then, when the king spoke, it was law. It, it wasn't time or to, to rebuttal it. When he spoke, it happened, okay? And so he's on the top of his palace. Um, and I want you to think, you know, 3,000 years ago, ancient Israel in Jerusalem, he's on the top of his palace out one night, and he sees this woman down there, and she's bathing. And he can see her from the rooftop. David, just like any other person on this planet, has a temptation to go through with some lust. And he did. And he actually sent word for her to go get her and bring her back to the palace, to him. Now, again, the, what the king said happened. And he gave into it. And she came back. And he sleeps with her. Long and short of it is she gets pregnant. And she comes back to him and says, I'm, I'm pregnant or sends word that I'm pregnant. And now, get this. The whole entire time, the army of Israel is out fighting for the nation. Okay, we can all relate to that since a lot of our guys and gals are are overseas doing different things. And one of the guys that was out fighting was this woman's husband. And so he has the bright idea not to repent, not to say I'm sorry, not to go to God and, and ask for forgiveness right then. He has the bright idea to bring the guy back home and let him go back to his house and maybe he'll sleep with her, and then maybe everyone will think that's his kid. So he does. He sends word. He brings the guy off the front lines and, and brings him back. He feeds him a good meal and says, you know what? You're just doing such a great job, and thank you for bringing the reports of what's happening out there. I want you to go home and enjoy your family. And the guy says, absolutely not. I'm not going to do it. He says, how can I go enjoy my family and sleep in my own bed and enjoy my wife when my brothers that are out fighting? I, I'll never do that. And so he sleeps on the doorpost right there at the palace. And David said, I know what I'll do. I'll get him drunk. So the next night, he, he gets him just plastered, and he thought, well, maybe he'll stumble his way on home then. Didn't do it. The man had resolve. Now, at this point, you're thinking, David, give up. <laughs> you know? I mean, you've, you've already messed up. It's obviously not going to happen the way you want. And we're all thinking, man, this guy is going to get what's coming to him. He keeps pushing. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? He's saying to himself, he said, I'm going I'm to send him back. He said, but I'm going to send him to the very front line where the fiercest battle is happening, the fiercest of the fighting, and so that he'll die. Then I'll take his wife, who's now a widow, is mine. And that's what he does. He writes a letter to the commander of the army. He seals it to where it can't be opened, only by the commander of the army. And he gives it to the man to carry back with him into battle. He, he signs his execution letter, rolls it up, seals it, and lets the man carry it with him back to battle. And then he gets the report later that, hey, what, hap- what you wanted to happen, happened. He's, he's at the front lines. He was in the fiercest of the battle, and he died. And so what does David do? He goes and gets that woman and brings her back as his own wife, and she has the baby, and he thinks everything's fine. Until God goes to a prophet and says, you need to go to David and really confront him with this. And so he does, and he goes to David, and he says, why are you acting like nothing is happening? We say in the South, he got up in his grits, <laughs> Okay. And, and David was broken, and he said some strong things to David, but David could have done this. God's never going to forgive me for that. You ever thought that? You ever done something so bad, and you think God's never going to forgive me, or God can't forgive me? Maybe if you're, if you're bold enough just to admit in your own heart that maybe you're holding on to some, some hurt and some shame. God can't forgive that. David could have done that he he could have said all kinds of things he could have said you know what maybe lust maybe thinking about it maybe even adultery but i had the guy murdered after that. God is not going to forgive me for that. I- I'm done. I'm a done man. I am, they could hang me for that. I, 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 God could wipe me out with a thought. He's not going to love me anymore. He could have come to God with that. But you know what he did? He took this box and he shoved it aside and said, I'm not coming to God with my own ideas. I'm going to fall on my face before him. And if he says he loves me that much, then I'm going to believe him. Now, you bet you me, David and his human self didn't think that God would love him. He believed it because God said he did. And I don't know how many of you are, are, are waiting to come to God until you somehow get good enough to come to him. But you've got to put that box away. Your thinking is not God's thinking. His love for you baffles the best you have. And David fell before him. And and in Psalms 51, we have just a a fraction of everything David did, but we actually have recorded the prayer that David prayed. He wrote it down. And and in Psalm 51, this is part of it, verse 11, he falls on his face before God and says, Do not cast me from your presence. Maybe some of you need to pray this prayer. "Do, Do not take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. We don't think that when we've messed up bad. We think God's not going to do it. Or maybe I'll just slip in and, and maybe I'll be good enough by some good works. David just wiped all that away. He put his box aside, his human self, his human thinking, and he said, God, restore to me joy. Restore to me. Don't, don't take your presence from me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And then he goes on even further. This is, what, this is what's crazy to me. He says, if you do this for me, God, and I, he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Did you know that God not only wants to forgive you, not only does he want to save your soul, but he's going to get you to a point where your life is actually replicating itself onto other people, and other people are actually learning from you and what God's doing in your life. David prayed that prayer right at the beginning. Now, we may think, well, God might be able to save me, but certainly God's not going to use me to show somebody else. Guys, that's called a box. That's called putting God in a box that you can see and you can measure. And God says, I'm bigger than your box. Faith always lives outside. Come to me in faith. God will, will use your life, not just to save it, but use it in such a way that you'll be able to teach other people. People will look to you. And that was David's prayer. But do you you notice the the sequence of those events? Come to God fully. Come to God with your box broken. Come to God humble and open to Him. And God does something in your life so powerful, not only does He save your soul, but He uses you to reach other people. Only God can do that. David, a a lustful man, at least in that moment, an adulterer, a murderer, and then tried to pass it off like nothing happened. And God forgave him. And I think it's interesting that a 1,000 years after this big mistake that David made, listen, he was still being used as an example of what a godly man looks like. In fact, Paul, later on in the New Testament, was referencing David, and he was talking, um, or, or the book of Acts was, uh, in, in the book of Acts, it was the story of, of the church. And listen to what verse 13 says, or verse 22 of, of chapter 13. He's actually referencing David way back then and, and quoting God. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all that I will. A thousand years after this big mistake, he was still being used as an example of what a godly man looks like. Did you know that after the biggest mistake that you made, God can still use you and your name can still be synonymous with, with him? If you think you've done too much, if you think you've gone too far, I just want you to know it's not true. Don't put God in that box. God can still use you. He wants to use you. He wants to bless you and he loves you. you can have a fresh start. The second thing God wants to do with His power in your life is He wants you to function even in spite of today's frustrations. I don't know what you're going through right now that God wants to to completely give you power to get through, but I want you to know He can. And that's his desire that there was a woman with the issue the bible says the issue of blood she had this bleeding issue uh, on the inside and she spent everything she had on doctors she had done everything she possibly could she turned to everything and everyone else she spent everything she had and in mark chapter 5 starting with verse 24 it tells the story jesus is coming into a town he's, he's coming in to do his thing crowds are pressed around him everywhere he went there was huge crowds okay It says, a large crowd followed and pressed in around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Can anybody identify with that? You've been dealing with something for so long and it's not getting any better and you don't know what to do. It says, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought to herself, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Now, her box had her thinking something different. I'm sure she had the, the, the propensity to be thinking something inside of her box. Now, her human self and her box was thinking that he doesn't have time for me. You know, he, he's too important to be dealing with somebody like me who's wasted all her money on something that didn't work who, I mean, certainly God's got more people that he is dealing with that are actually doing great and mighty things for him. And I know they have problems. So, so God can, he's probably going to spend his time, you know, working with them. Jesus doesn't have time for me. Why would he even notice me? He, all these people around, why would he notice me? I've been dealing with this way too long. Maybe this is just the way it's supposed to be. Am I ringing with you any at all? And we have this box, and she had this box, but you know what she did? She decided she was going to put this box to the side, and she was going to step out in faith, which by the way, again, it lives outside of your box. Faith always does. And she pressed in. She pressed in so hard. Bible says that she pressed in through the crowd just to touch him with faith. Have you ever thought like that? Whenever, whenever you think maybe things are, are going a certain way in your life and you're so tempted to think that, you know what, God doesn't care. It's been happening way too long. And, and, and all the while, it leads up to where you are right now. And all that history of, of maybe it not changing like it thought. Like you thought it should have, like you thought it could have, like maybe God would have. And so you've, you've built this. This is just the way it is. And our own thinking is a trap because it's limited. You have no idea what God wants to do in your life. You have no idea the, the power that He wants to give you in your life. But your own thinking is limited. It fits into a box that can be measured. And you can't go any further than that. You have no idea what God wants to do. And when it only goes so far, you're thinking, and when it does, you run out of options. And that's why Romans says, keep your mind focused on the things of the Spirit, which is life. The woman touched Jesus, and then verse 29 says that, Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. She got rid of her box, she pressed in with faith, and she was healed. I don't know what you need healing from today. I don't know what you need to change in your life. I don't know the relationships that need to be restored. I don't know the hurt that you're facing. But I can tell you this verse 34 Jesus looks at her and says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Now go in peace and be freed from your suffering. What healed her? It was her faith. It wasn't what she thought. It wasn't her own thinking. It wasn't what God needed to do at a certain time based on her own thoughts and feelings and her own situation. It was her faith. Faith doesn't live inside here. It can't. And so she put her box aside, and she in faith walked up, and that's that's what did it. Jesus saw her, and he didn't see a box. You know what he saw? He saw a woman believing in something that she knew was impossible without him and God's power changed her life. Whatever your current frustration is, I want you to know God has the power to change it. Now, He may start by changing you, but His power in your life will begin when you put your box down and you walk out in faith. He wants to give you the power to forget yesterday's failures. He wants to give you the power to function with today's frustrations. And He wants to give you the power to face tomorrow's fears with confidence. We all have a tomorrow. I'm wrapping up here. But I want you to know God has a future for you. And the fact is, is you can't see it. (laughs) If you know what your future is, just raise your hand. and We'll all worship you after the service is over in the lobby. We'll just, you know. You don't. You don't know it. God has a future for you. You you can't see it. But you know what we can see? We can see this. (laughs) We, My buddy and me. I mean, we know it. We, We know exactly what this is. We can see it. We can measure it. It's quantifiable. If these things happen, then this will happen. If that happens over here, then this happens. And God, you need to do this on Monday at 3 p.m. Because this is what's going to happen if you don't. And if you do, then this is what's going to happen. And we, we put all these things together, but it's measurable and it's small. Let me ask you something. Can you fit God in this box? No. You can't put God's power. You can't put the amount of power that God has in the edge of his pinky in this box. If, if that's even a, 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 a math problem that we could even do, God cannot fit in this box. His power cannot fit in this box. And what He wants to do in your life and the power that He wants to exert in you as He accomplishes it cannot fit in this box. But that's comfortable because it doesn't require faith. There was a story of, of, of friends of Jesus Two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And these two sisters, they, they found out that their, their brother was sick, and he was getting sicker and sicker, even unto death. And they send word to Jesus. And, and they say, Jesus, you need to come now because Lazarus is sick, and he's getting sicker and sicker, and he's going to die. And the Bible says, this is crazy, but the Bible says that Jesus delayed, and he did it on purpose. And now, they didn't know what was going on. They just knew he wasn't showing up. And they had this box and they were going, you know what, Jesus? You need to come now. <laughs> you need to come right now. And because here's what's interesting our box makes sense. If you don't come right now, my brother's going to die. And, and they had this box, and you, you need to come right now because we can understand that if you don't come, he's going he's to pass away, and we can understand that if you do come, he'll live. We, we know that you can do that. We can wrap our minds around that. But did you know that, that this box is like a tomb? It, it is. You, you, you go in there, you put your thoughts in there, you live in there, but the things of God can't live in there. It's a tomb, and eventually things die in there. Everything that God wants to give you is life. He wants to breathe life into you. His power wants to wants to wants to kind of like go into your life and, and do things that you can't even measure or even think to ask. Life, breath, power. But in here are things that rot and die and break down. This box is a tomb. And so Jesus delayed, and he did it on purpose. And they didn't realize it then, but what he was delaying for is... He wanted to demonstrate his power in a way that they had never seen before and didn't even know they could believe in. And so long and short of it is he delays, and Lazarus dies. He dies dead. He's in the tomb, and Jesus and his disciples, they come afterwards. And they're there at the edge of town, and one of the sisters, Mary, comes to him. And this is what she says in, in John chapter 11, verse 32. She comes up to him and she falls on her face, and says, "When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, "Lord, if you had been here, then my brother would not have died." And Jesus, he sees her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her, and they're, they're weeping too, and he was there. And, and the Bible says that he was deeply troubled and that he was moved in his spirit. He was troubled on the inside. And Jesus said, where have you laid him? And they said, come and see, Lord. And the Bible says, you may have heard this, the, the shortest verse in the whole Bible, Jesus wept. You've heard that? And, and people have often said, well, Jesus, he was weeping because he's, his human part of him was reaching out in compassion to his their friends, reaching out in compassion to, you know, Mary and Martha who were weeping, and he was just, he was just moved. He was weeping because of what was happening in the human moment. it's interesting that Jesus was always thinking in the Spirit. Always. In fact, he said that everything I do, I only do because my Father tells me to do it. You know what the reason why Jesus lived a perfect life is because he executed that perfectly. Always thinking in the Spirit, every moment, everything that he did, every word he spoke, he did because the Father told him to. Jesus had the same opportunity to have this box. But he, he made a, a professional history out of casting that box aside and only doing in faith what God asked him to do. And in that moment, people often say Jesus was, was weeping and because he got wrapped up in, in the moment. And when he did, verse 36, the, the Jews looked at him and they thought, wow, man, this guy, he really loved Lazarus. You can tell by the way he's, <laughs> he's weeping out for him. But then other people, they said, you know, couldn't he not have raised up Lazarus? This is a guy who opened the eyes of the blind. Why couldn't he do the same for Lazarus? Maybe you're asking today, I'm watching God do all kinds of things for other people. Why can't he do it for me? I'm watching God restore marriages and heal hurts and, and even heal people physically. But yet I'm destitute and I'm, I'm broke and I, my relationships are suffering and my family member is still sick and dying. Why can't you why can't you do it for me? And they were asking the same question. And Jesus said later in verse 40, they said, Didn't I tell you that if you believe that you will see the glory of God? They were still questioning him. He, Jesus told them, I want you to roll the, the stone away from the tomb. And they said, Well, it's been three days. You know, it's, he's decomposing now. In other words, he smells bad in there. And Jesus said, Look, if you believe, if you live outside of this box, what I'm telling you doesn't make sense, he's saying. And some of the things that God tells you to do and some of the ways he wants you to walk, it doesn't make sense. You can't walk and do the things of God while you're holding this. If you believe, if you have faith, if you put your box aside because faith doesn't live in here, and if you take a step forward while you still have the questions formulating in your mind, but you believe that God can. He said, then you'll see the glory of God. Jesus wept. But then he did something amazing. He called Lazarus out of the tomb. Lazarus! come forth. And here comes Lazarus out of the grave, wearing grave clothes. He said, take the grave clothes off of him. What have you settled for believing will never change because you've wrapped it around the framework of only what you can understand? I'd be willing to bet that none of you have seen a dead person raised to life. Maybe you have. I don't know. I haven't. But most of us in here haven't seen that. But I guarantee you, we have dead dreams that we think are all but gone. And, and I, I think maybe Jesus weeps. Maybe like he did in this story, he weeps because he sees people that have boxes. He weeps because he wants to do some great and mighty powerful thing in your life, but we just walk up to him, maybe like some of them did in the story, like this. And God's power is limited in our lives, just like when he went to his hometown. When we come with our own ideas, with our own ways of thinking with our own lack of faith when we come with our box and we say, God, you have to fit in my own framework of thinking. God, I want you to get inside this box and me and you, with your power and my plan, we're going we're, we're gonna to go places. Guys, it doesn't work like that. Could Jesus be weeping at the thought that his, he wants so much more than anything. He died for the opportunity that you would believe in him and put your box away and he would unleash power in your life to do great and mighty things. Could he be weeping because he's limited, because we give him this? I guarantee you that there's people in here today that, that maybe not have seen a dead person raised to life, but maybe you have a relationship that all but has gone. It's all but gone. You, you, it's, it's almost as dead, and you don't know how it's going to be raised back to the way it once was. And, and you're walking with God saying, you got to do it now. You got to bring them back home now. You have to do this now. You have to turn them around. You got to change them now. You have to do all these things. And we're just, we're holding this box saying, God, do it in a way that we can grasp, do it in a way that we can understand. But you remember the verse that says he wants to do things that you can't even begin to think or ask for them because you can't measure them. He wants to do things that are immeasurably more than you could ever dare to dream or think or ask. And I I just wonder one more time, what could God do in your life? What power could be unleashed in your life if you would just literally take the box that you have and begin to dismantle it? God, I I know this feels comfortable to me inside this box, and it hurts to let it go, but I believe what you say in your word. I believe that you want to do more things in me than just for me to walk around thinking and, and, and acting just on what I can comprehend. What could God do in your life? What things could be raised from the grave? I I don't know what things are dead in your life. I don't know what things you've given up on. But I want to challenge you this morning to take that box, take your thinking, and completely dismantle it and say, God, I'm ready for you to do something that's great in my life, something that I can't even dare to dream or think or ask. Is there anybody in the room today that would say, I've got a box and I'm ready to rip it? Uh, And that's what I want you to do. I want you to start by just acknowledging the fact fact that you have a box that we all have a human self that wants to quantify God and measure him. And I want you to understand that you have that, and I want you to rip it up. Is there anybody in the room that would be willing to do that today? Can you stand to your feet? And I'm just going to rip this one up, just kind of figuratively thinking. But God, I, I want you to do more in my life. I want you to do great and mighty things in my life. And if your word is true, and I believe that it is, I can't even begin to think or dare or dream or ask. And so I'm done. I'm done trying to figure it out myself and I'm ready for you to do something in me that I can't even imagine. Can we pray together? I, I want you to do this as we do. I want you to think about that box. Think about your own understanding. And if you're comfortable doing this, and I hope you are, I just want you to lift your hands to them today. And the reason why I want you to do that is because this is the universal sign of surrender. God, I'm surrendering myself to you. Can, can you find the boldness in your heart to do that? It's a great posture to live by. God, I, you see all across this room, you see all the people that are listening and watching online. You see a group of people who are saying, God, less of me and more of you. And I know that there are still questions. As we lift our hands to you right now, there's questions as to how you're gonna do things going forward. We, we're, we're human beings, you know. You identify with us because of Jesus. And right now, we're just declaring that, that gone are the days of us trying to take control By putting you the God of the universe in a box and we have faith and we walk forward and we're giving you permission to do whatever you'd like in our lives as as, as we walk forward and as you begin to work things out we we ask your power to come into us as, as we forget the failures of our past and stop shaming ourselves as you give us the power to deal with the things that we're currently struggling with, the frustrations in our lives that we don't even, we don't even know what to ask sometimes because we have no idea what the solution could be. Lord, and, and the power in our lives to let go of the fear of the future. But we trust you with it, whatever that happens to be. This is a group of people that has given their lives to you. And right now, again, we are turning again. We're, we're turning, we're, we're, we're offering ourselves to you with a made up mind and an open heart, transform us. Maybe some of us are, are in the room or listening who have never sort of ripped that box of their own thinking up and giving it to you. And, and, and maybe your biggest need right now is the condition of your soul. You need a savior. You don't just need your problems fixed while you're here on this earth. You, you need to know you're going to heaven. And maybe that's the question you have right now. And, and I just want to tell you right now, this is God speaking to you. You're, you're here or you're listening for a, for a reason right here, right now. And it's for God to tell you this. I loved you forever ago. And, and I want you to stop trying to fix your own self. And I want you to come to me. I died for you. I love you. And I want you to live for me and accept me. Would you be bold enough to say yes to him? God doesn't make it complicated. I'm I'm just going to pray, and I want you to lift him up in your own heart. God, I need you. I believe that I can't make it on my own. I can't ever be worthy enough of you. I'm not perfect. I'll never be. And you're perfect, and you're making making a perfect heaven. I can't get into a perfect heaven being imperfect, but I believe that Jesus came in to die for me because he loved me. I I can't measure that in my box. I'm believing that in faith. I believe that he really died. He really spilled his blood. He lived a sinless life before that. And he was raised to life, demonstrating his power over death and the grave. And because of that, I have life. I believe in him. And I I don't have all the answers, but I want to follow. So help me make the decisions every day that would make you proud. I want to involve you in my life. So as I walk out of these doors right now, And this is for all of us as we walk out of these doors right now. We're going to be faced with the same life, some of us that we still walked in here with. And and God is wanting to give us a new set of lenses to look through. So God, we just invite you to help us. We invite you to help make our decisions with us. Show us how. We know as long as we put you first and give you the permission to change us and move us forward that we're going to end up exactly where we need to be until one day we get to heaven and see you face to face. And we thank you, Lord, and we love you, and and we know that you love us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.